Good morning. Well, I get to, to speak this morning. I'm pretty happy about it. So I'm not, not the normal guy who gets to talk. But I wanted to talk today about servanthood and um, was trying to, to think about what to say about that huge topic. I wanted to say a lot of things. And most of the week, I pretty much just fought with starting down one track and then having that split three directions in my hand as I tried to think about how I'm going to talk about servanthood because it's such a huge theme. It, it permeates all of life for Christians. And so I wanted to talk about the passage here is in uh, Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 35 through 45. And we'll just go ahead and read that. That's on page 846, if you've got one of the Bibles that are under the pew there. 846. So picking up in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant to us to sit one on your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, Yes, we are, we are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And this is really the kind of the focus from here on out, where we'll be, verses 42 through 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding into your word, that you would give us insight, that um, that insight wouldn't fade on our hearts, but that it would find good soil, that your Holy Spirit would bless it and make it come alive to us. God, that this wouldn't be black dots on a page, but would be life and truth for us. God, would you shape us today more into the image of Christ? Would you make us servants of all? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, I guess I I was wanting to talk about a lot of different things about the topic of servanthood. I would want to, I wanted to talk about the fact that the Son of Man, verse 45, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he, he didn't come to be served. And we can't serve him in a way that pays him back. I feel like that's an important thing because we're all prone to try to pay him back. We're all prone to serve in a way that's going to, you know, repay the great grace that he's given to us. And Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. 
And the Bible says God's not served with human hands as though he needed anything. So we don't serve God in a way that repays. And we serve him like people serve money. In another passage, Jesus says um, you can't serve God and money. Well, how do you serve money? You don't serve money by meeting money's needs because money doesn't have any needs and God doesn't have any needs. And you don't serve God by meeting his needs. You serve God in the very same way that people serve money. People serve money by spending all of their day thinking about how to position their life to get into a place that money will benefit them. And that's exactly the way that you serve God. You spend all of your, all of your time, all of your life, all of your mind, your energy thinking, how can I posture my life to be in a place that benefits from God. So I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about the fact that Jesus came as a servant. He didn't come to be given to, and this wasn't a show. This wasn't extra good behavior on his part where he's coming to model something that's not true about him in general. This is his character. This is who he is. He is the giver. God gives all men life and breath and everything He's always the giver, and that's part of his character, and God's the happiest person in the world. So the things that I think make him happy is his character, is who he is. Just like Satan is the unhappiest person in the world because he's full of greed and covetousness and idolatry and lies and malice, he's not happy with, because of his character and who he is. On the other hand, God is full of love and joy and peace and mercy and kindness, justice, patience, humility, and those attributes are a spring, a source of his happiness and his emotional life. And when Jesus tells us to become loving people, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another so that your joy will be, will be full. He's telling us that Becoming a loving person is a pathway to joy. And so part of the reason for us to want to be servants is because it's not just something we should find joy in, but it's actually the pathway to becoming joyful people. That God's character and God's emotional life are one package deal. That as we become more like him in character, we become more like him in his effusive happiness. So I want to get that. I want to say that, you know. But I don't have time to do all of those things. So I slipped a little bit in here right now because I'm sly like that. My wife told me that if I tried to preach everything, that she would leave if, <laughs> if no one else did. So. so I want to talk about a half a dozen things, but this topic and this mindset is huge and it permeates all of life. Um, you know, Philippians that Dan started off with says, this is the, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This is Christ's mind here. A servant. It's, it's, it underpins everything that he does. It underpins all of life. So it's a very, very broad subject, topic very important for us. And one of the things that draw, drew me to this passage is just that, this word greatest, that Jesus said, 
the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I, I just, my, my ears perk up when I hear that because I think, yeah, I want, I want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says to his disciples, you want to be the greatest? This is like the secret to Christian life. This is, this is it. This is how you become the greatest. Well, be the servant. Huh? You want to you be first in the eternity? Sounds good to me. Well, then be last. This ought to just take your breath away if you're not numb to the passage. How does this happen? How do we do that? To be a servant of everyone. And I could just hear the disciples, you know, if, if you were among the disciples, this would be baffling to you. But stop the riddles, Jesus. Is this opposite day? Is, white is black and up is down. Be the servant to be the greatest. Be the last to be the first. Well, it's more than just opposite day. It's, it's the mind of Christ versus the natural mind. In this world, Jesus says, you know that the Gentiles, when they get in a position of authority, they lord it over you. They jockey for position. It's a world of king of the hill. And, and you just get on top and try to leverage your uphill advantage and keep other people down and keep yourself on top. But you know it's not that way in the kingdom. In the kingdom, the greatest will be the one who serves. Just like the Son of Man didn't come to be served, even though he's the greatest, even though he has the highest rank, position, the, the greatest reason for us to serve him, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. I think the, the obvious point of this passage is that in the kingdom, greatness is not like it is in this world. In the kingdom, the, the order of the kingdom is a reflection of the character of the king. That's the main point. The order of the kingdom is a reflection of the character of the king. And that Jesus takes his disciples' desire for greatness, and he doesn't say, stop it. You're not supposed to have an interest in your own personal gain. I think that's interesting that he doesn't respond that way. Instead, he patiently takes their twisted desire for greatness, for power, for position, and he redirects it. Greatness isn't found where you think it's going to be found, is what he says. In this world, people who have more skill, more natural talent, people who are great, they use their wits to keep other people down and push them, push them down and elevate themselves. But that's that's sinful. That's not the way that it's going to be in the kingdom. In the kingdom, the greatest is the one who gives. I think it's interesting that he doesn't condemn their ambition to be great. Instead, he, he just gives an answer that flies smack in the face of the disciples' approach to greatness. Their approach was me and not you. Me, not you. And they come in, I mean, his disciples are pretty crafty with this. I mean, I, I just look at this and kind of get a, you know, a chuckle, like you're going to put one over on Jesus, that they come to him and they say, we want you to do something for us. What, you do me a favor? They're asking him to commit to something before they tell him what it is. And then 
Jesus doesn't do that, and he just says, what do you want me to do? And they ask for the most audacious thing that they could ask for. We want to be your right-hand man and your left-hand man, I guess. But we want to be in the highest positions in the kingdom. But Jesus responds by saying that greatness in the kingdom isn't like that. Greatness in the kingdom is to have the character of the king, to be a servant. I think it's an obvious point, but one that we need to draw down on, focus on, that the, that Jesus' mind versus the natural mind is opposite. And that's something that you would expect. If Jesus is coming and he's bringing his kingdom and he's, he's exerting his rule on earth and he is undoing the effects of sin, then there, it should be no surprise that some things aren't gonna cla- are going to clash. They're not going to line up with the way that people have understood things to be. Which is why, even though we know this to be true, yeah, the greatest is, is the servant. Be a servant of all. We know this to be true, but we still need to hear it, even though we've heard it a hundred times. That life isn't found where you think it's going to be. This is just, Jesus' mindset is totally different. Life isn't found where you think it's going to be. Life is going to be found in dying. If any man would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you'll save it. So you don't want to lose your life, so lose it and save it. It's just, it's just baffling. You, don't, you want to be the greatest, don't you? Well, then be a servant, someone who has no rights, who's every decision is dictated by someone else. You know, that's the greatest. You want to be the first? Be the last. Just blows, blows your mind away when you stop and think about what he's saying. God's wisdom looks foolish, 1 Corinthians. His strength looks like weakness. The most important is the servant. Count curses as blessings. When you suffer for doing what's right, be glad about that. Christianity is just not jiving with the way that we think naturally. And we had better admit that before we think we just know what this is and we've got this because it's different than what we expect. And even if we learn it once, we need to learn it again because daily we forget that the greatest is the servant. So what does it mean to be a servant? And Jesus just says to him, well, greatness isn't found where you're looking for it. He flipped, the de- he flipped greatness on its head. And he didn't change the definition of what the word great means. Great is still like the, the thing that is of highest value. But he totally confronts what they expected that greatness would do. So they, they come to him and they say, can we, we want these positions, we want to sit one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus says, Greatness won't sit at all. Greatness is going to serve. You have an idea of greatness that is borrowed from the world. That's not what greatness is in the kingdom. Greatness is to have the character of the king. Just like Jesus 
who was greatest among them came and was the servant of everyone. And he's not acting out of some kind of like peer pressure or some kind of a campaign. He's not under constraint. He's not putting on a show. He's simply acting out of who he is. You know, he's not on extra special good behavior while on earth being the servant. From eternity, he is the giver. I just thought this morning, if there were no commands over my life, would I choose to consider others more important than myself? Take comfort in the fact that God does. God, God not exalts us over himself, but that he doesn't, doesn't uh, his joy is expansive and flows out into us as well. So he, t- he brings us into the, uh, the love that he has within himself. Now I'm getting all heady. Theological. I misspoke and then I had to backtrack. (laughs) He gives. He serves. He invites us to become servants of all. And there's a difference in the way that we serve versus the way that God serves. We are managers of the gifts that he gives to us. We don't originate anything. We don't give a gift to God to try to repay. That's impossible. God's the giver. He's the creator. All we are is managers and we mismanage. So there's no way that we can ever pay him back. But Jesus still invites us to serve. He still invites us to be servants, to be the greatest. And I want that. I want that. And how do we get there? That's really probably got two points in the sermon. One is the greatest is going to be the servant. And then the rest is just looking at how do we become servants? How do we become people who give and give and give? Because Jesus calls us to be servants of everyone. That's not just our friends. We have a hard time giving to people in the church, you know, and sacrificing for others here. But Jesus doesn't call us just to sacrifice for our friends. He calls us to love our enemies, to bless those who persecute you, to pray for those who spitefully use you. It says to the I guess it's to his disciples. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anybody else? The tax collectors do the same. Be like your father because he gives sun and rain to people who hate him. He gives to his enemies. He blesses people who disregard and despise him. So, it's easy, it's sort of easy for us to love and serve people that we generally love. There's times when there's a rough spot with anybody, right? But it's terribly hard to think about loving people who intentionally use you. That's not going to happen by our strength. That's, not, that's going to be something that's supernatural. So how in the world do we become people like this? We won't get to be radically loving the way that God calls us to and being the servant of everybody by simply saying, I want to be a servant. I want to be a servant. I want to be a servant. I need to be a servant. Just <clears throat> going to do it. We are meant to serve with the strength that he gives us, and he gives us strength while we trust in his promises. 
like, it's better to give than to receive. That's a short one. That's easy. We should memorize that. It's better to give than to receive. So that next time you're in a situation where it just feels easy to take out of this situation, you can have your mindset flipped and informed by Jesus. It's better to give. And I want to be the giver in this situation. I want to be the one who's taken advantage of in this situation because that's better. That's true. That's true. I want to live in that. And it's a principle that infiltrates all of life. It's the mind of a servant. I mean, what would happen if we just got a hold of that? That's, that's short. It's easy to comprehend. But what would happen if we got a hold of that? And, and this afternoon went home and for 30 minutes tried to plan how to be a blessing to four other people this week. Like, just, just planning, how can I be the one who blesses others, who gives, who is a servant to others? And there's no right way to do this, but just make up something. I mean, what if on Tuesday I, I planned to call somebody with a verse and encourage them about something that God's shown me lately? Or what if on Wednesday I, somebody shows up at my house with a loaf of zucchini bread and I am very thankful to that person for you know their, their gifts? And what if I just show up at somebody's house and put my hand on their shoulder and pray for them? And what if I go out this week and get a... $8 meal at a restaurant and leave a $20 tip. Like, what if we just became people who were others-oriented and got the concept that it's better to give than it is to receive? And of course we can do all those things for show. We can do them for the wrong reason. And we can want to be seen. And we can just as easily not want to be perceived as somebody who wants to be seen and so then neglect doing it. I don't, I don't want them to think that all I wanted was the show and so I'm so prideful, I won't even do it. Ignore that. Ignore that inner conflict and just be somebody who lives to bless others. Be a servant of all to be greatest in the kingdom. Christ didn't come to make a people who were cleaned up morally and, you know, don't do certain social no-nos. He came to make a people who are full of love and zealous for good deeds. That's what Christ came to, to create. Came to create hearts of servants. That's greatness in the kingdom. People who don't look out just for their own interests, but also for the interest of others. What if we esteemed the role of a servant the way Jesus does? If we actually got to the heart of greatness in his kingdom and we weren't duped into thinking greatness like, like this world esteems greatness. Find ways to be givers. I, I know a guy I found a, a few years ago who um, has some financial goals and one of his financial goals is that during the course of his life he wants to be able to give away a million dollars while he's still alive. And he's, he's not ultra wealthy. He does all right, but he's not uber wealthy. And I just think that's, that's an encouraging example of a servant love. These are my goals in life. I'm strategizing for how I can bless other people. I've got, 
I've got my own personal financial goals. I've got my own uh, educational goals. I've got my relationship goals. I've got these goals in life. Do you have goals that show the priorities of the kingdom to be a servant? We should find, find ways to be givers. That's what I want to encourage us towards today. It's just to dream a dream that says service is the heart is my heart's desire. I want to I want to give, I want to bless, I want to be sons like my father who gives to all men life and breath and everything. We give differently. I'm not saying that. But why are you why are we here today? I mean, just as an example, this little caveat, this little section of time that we have together, why are you here? Did you come to like, hear from the Lord? Did you come to worship Him, to be encouraged? I hope you did. I hope you did. But I also hope that as you came this morning, there is a mindset in you, the mind of Christ, that is the heart of a servant that says, I'm coming to bless somebody. I'm coming to give something. I've I've thought through how I want to speak into somebody's life. I've, I've, I know this person's going to be there, and I know that they've, whatever, they have whatever need it is, and I want to come and meet that. I want to be the body together. We're talking a lot about what that means, but this is a huge piece. No matter how we strategize and how we change the structure of our service, if we don't have hearts of servant, it won't work. Because that's what it is to be the body of Christ. Well, how do we do that when, when people are obnoxious? <laughs> because people just are. I mean, it's just tough to deal in a world with other sinful people. And, and so say, give, give, give. Well, how do you do that? You can't do it on your own. You can't do that in your own strength. You need to bank on the promises of God. And, and here's one that I think is huge to me. I go to it. A lot, I probably have talked about it here before, I don't know. But Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to turn over there real quick. Matthew chapter 7, that is on page 812 and verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give to those, give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What's the logic here? I, I, I don't like that there's a new heading. They are on verse 12, the golden rule, where it starts that off. It's, it's kind of a recognizable text, so there's a, it makes sense that they made a little paragraph break there, but those aren't there in the Bible. And I think it's distracting because Jesus' logic here is, come ask because you have a father and he gives good gifts to his children. You all, are, you all know how to give good gifts, and you're evil. Your Father in heaven isn't, and he knows how to give what's good. How much more will he, who's perfect, give what's good? So, therefore, 
treat others the way you want to be treated. Jesus is pulling off of this illustration that God is a good father and he knows how to supply what you need. You, you give your kids good gifts. How much more an omniscient, all-powerful God? How much more is he going to give what's good? So I guess that makes sense, you know? If, if somebody is loving but they can't do anything to help us, we're kind of up a creek. But if they're, if they're powerful, but they don't love us, then they, we're in trouble too, right? We, we, we won't be supplied. But if somebody loves us and they're powerful and they promise to give what's good, therefore, treat other people the way that you need to be treated. The, the logic is your needs are supplied. You have a father in heaven who loves you, who's taking care of you, and he's going to give what's good to you. So therefore, that's the rock that you stand on, and now you're freed from need. You don't have to go out and, like the disciples, try to get in the first line, first place in line, because your Father is going to take care of your every need. Therefore, you're free to love other people. So how do we become people who give and give and give and become a slave of everybody? It's by knowing the gospel that we have all of our needs met in Christ. So we're freed. We can lay ourselves down. We don't have to fight for position. We have a Father who loves us. I just wanted to encourage us not to make the mistake like the disciples did of thinking that greatness is some kind of a position when greatness is about a disposition. Greatness is about an attitude. Greatness is about being a servant and having the mind of Christ. If you want to be great in the kingdom, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, humbled himself to the point of death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him a name above every name. Greatest in the kingdom? That sounds greatest in the kingdom to me. The greatest servant greatest in the kingdom. Be like your Father in heaven. Be fearless because he's got your back. So go love and serve. Let's pray. Father, it's so dangerous to encourage one another to love and good deeds because we can so easily fall into the trap of thinking that we need to perform in some kind of a way to earn your, your favor. That's not it. You have given us everything that we need, all things that we need through Christ. God, help us to rest there. Help us to rest in who you are and from the place of being satisfied and taken care of and trusting in you to become greatest in the kingdom by laying ourselves out in a, in a way that takes supernatural power to be sustained because you don't call us just to love people who are easy to get along with. You call us to love our enemies. That's impossible without you, Lord. So help us, God of the universe, who's all-powerful. I'm asking for help this week for Believer's Church that we would be people who trust you enough to risk in costly ways of love. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.